You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. You know, it's funny what people think about meditation when meditation is designed to enable you not think at all. And it's funny the thoughts that people have. It's amazing the number of people who think that meditation is a discrete exercise all of itself. Now I know that meditation is associated with and central to a number of spiritual traditions, for example Buddhism. But an awful lot of people who have decided to go and learn and practice meditation take it as a spiritual exercise only. Take it as a spiritual exercise that seems to have no connection to the cut and thrust of everyday life. I suppose the so-called real world you might describe it as. I've been teaching people, uh, amongst other things, to meditate for just over 25 years. Obviously meditation is one of the key tools that we have at our disposal to enable us gain control of what we pay attention to and how we pay attention properly. One of the biggest challenges I've had over those 25 years is talking to people who were already meditating before I first met them. There's one particular guy that I recall who I met in Dublin a number of years ago and he'd been meditating for 23 years at the time. He had actually gone to India and spent a couple of years learning to, as he described it, meditate properly. And he was abiding by all these rules and regulations that were laid down in relation to the right way to meditate and what's the wrong way to meditate and what steps are required and how you need to sit. So many rules and regulations that instead of freeing his mind, which is what meditation is all about, he was constraining himself with a whole new set of things by which he had to abide. Now you must remember, before we go any further, that quite a number of my clients talk about meditating being their act of self-liberation. Because actually what you're doing is you're freeing yourself from the thoughts that bind, the thoughts that hold you back. But here was my friend, as I say, he'd been meditating for 23 years before I met him. And as we discussed the role of meditation in our everyday lives, in in the cut and thrust of our ordinary everyday lives, it dawned on him after about an hour and a half's discussion that he had basically wasted the preceding 23 years. What he actually said to me was, he said, it's just dawned on me that I would have got as much relief from scratching some nether region on my body for 20 minutes every morning as I got from meditating because it had no impact on my daily life. I'd be sitting meditating at 6.30 in the morning, then I'd go and shower and have my breakfast, and by 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning I'd be as mad a raving lunatic as everybody else with whom I was working. Or I might be a mad raving lunatic by 7.30 having got stuck in traffic or be late for the train. 
It had never occurred to him that there was a connection between what he regarded as a spiritual meditation first thing in the morning and the temporal day ahead. And yet, seriously, what is the point of an exercise like that done in isolation that is not applied to how you go about your daily life? Actually, now that I say that, I recollect another conversation that I had with a very, very good friend of mine with whom I had worked for years before he became a client. This guy grew up in the 1970s in Belfast. And he made the point to me that people who practice meditation solely from the spiritual perspective and don't link it to the cut and thrust of their everyday lives were very similar to some of the guys he used to go to Mass with in Belfast on a Sunday. They would go to Mass, they would kneel down, they would say their prayers, they would take Holy Communion, they would go home and have their Sunday dinner, and they'd go out and shoot somebody or blow somebody up in the afternoon. No connection whatsoever between the spiritual exercise in the morning and the cut and thrust of what they were doing during the course of their, in this case, normal day. doesn't really begin to describe it, does it? The key point I want to make is that the way in which meditation is all too often thought is to set it in its little gilded cage as something that is precious and separate from everyday life. But the point I would make is that meditation is only precious to us because it makes the moments of our everyday life precious. In the same fashion, Mindfulness, the standard mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy eight-week program or the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy programs, they're all taught in isolation. I work and have worked for a very long time with one major a global company and I've worked with some of their leadership teams for years. And there's one particular leadership team with whom I've worked for 15 years and when a member of the team changes. In other words, when somebody comes up from middle management, they have to spend a day with me before they actually join the leadership team. Otherwise, they might think that the leadership team is some kind of cult because one of the things the leadership team does is meditate together every day. That is why this particular team is so spectacularly successful and has been over a protracted period of time. But because they are so much into meditation and mindfulness, they ensured that every single member of middle management was put through a standard eight-week mindfulness program. And without exception, each of those middle managers that I met on their way to joining the senior leadership team told me that they didn't understand what meditation was all about. They could never really get their heads around the practicalities of mindfulness because the practicalities of mindfulness were never discussed in these eight-week programs at all. Instead, they would meditate. And I'll come back to how they did that in a moment. They would meditate and then they would read a bit of a book like Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now and then the following week they'd discuss it. No one, no one ever mentioned to them that mindfulness wasn't something that you just, you know, you do and it's nice to have and you can feel happy. 
they never mention to them that mindfulness is a must. Mindfulness isn't a nice to have. Mindfulness is the only alternative there is to normal everyday mindlessness. And I don't make that statement lightly. I make that statement in the context of four decades of research that when you put them together conclusively prove that the normal mind operating normally using its normal automatic pilot which uses programs that the normal mind learned particularly during the third year of the normal mind's life that normal mind operating in that normal way is completely and utterly mindless because when you're on automatic pilot and your mind is controlling you you're in control of nothing and that I have to say is as far as I'm concerned a pretty neat definition of lunacy Anyway, the other thing that these guys were taught when they were on their eight-week mindfulness program was you need to meditate for a minimum of 30 minutes every morning, setting themselves up for failure. Because, for example, these guys, a lot of these guys and girls would have been kind of in their late 30s, early 40s when I met them first. They're probably at home in the morning rushing to get out to work and god those guys and girls worked really hard but they were probably rushing out to work whilst their wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend were also rushing out to work and they were probably tripping over a couple of kids in the process as well where were they going to get 30 minutes first thing in the morning to clear their minds and if they did give themselves 30 minutes in the morning to clear their minds i wouldn't blame their partner for hammering on the door to tell them to get their skates on there was a load of more important things to do no. The problem with mindfulness and the problem with meditation, either when it is taught in the mindfulness setting itself or traditionally, is that it is otherworldly. The connection between the world in which we actually have to do stuff every day and mindfulness or meditation is never made. And that is why these people at middle management level when I would meet them for the first time and I would explain to them how the normal mind works it would eventually dawn on them why they needed to practice meditation so that they could become mindful so that they could become aware so that they could become focused and in flow during the course of the day so that they'd do the right things to get to where they wanted to go and avoid doing the wrong things no one had ever put the two and two together for them. And because of the airy-fairy discussion groups they were involved in, no one was on hand to try to put the two and two together for them. So the first point I'd make is meditation as a means of developing your mindfulness is a must. It is the only scientifically validated way you and I have of gaining control for the very first time in our adult lives of the so-called attentional spotlight in the left prefrontal cortex in the brain, which is otherwise known as the brain's central executive, whose function is to coordinate the key parts of the brain to enable me focus and do what I need to do. Now, listen to what I just said. The normal mind operating on automatic pilot using what we call our stored knowledge, which was learned during our formative years, 
ensures that the attentional spotlight is never ever on in the adult life. It is never under the control of the adult. If, if you haven't developed your ability to be focused and present and in flow, you're not in control of the part of the brain you most need to enable you start living the life you'd love to experience. And a lot of the way this scientific wonder of meditation is taught will push you off. It'll push you off for a couple of reasons. Number one, as I said a minute ago, if somebody tells you you need to meditate for 20 or 30 minutes in the morning, it's not going to happen in the busy world in which we work. Yes, I could say to people for the rest of my life, would you not find 20 minutes to make the other 23 hours and 40 minutes so much better? But people won't because they're so busy and there's so much noise and there's so much drag and pull on, on us as we go about our normal everyday life. That is why my clients and owners of the online program are all equipped with six or seven minute meditations. At a push, some of them will do nine or ten minutes. But you see, what the most recent research in which I have been involved in the UK confirms is that it isn't the duration of your meditation that matters, it's the frequency of your meditation. You need to meditate every day, or you need to meditate almost every day. And that is not going to happen, first of all, if you've been told you need to meditate for half an hour. And it's not going to happen if you've been told there's only one right and proper way to meditate. It must be done like this. You must be sitting like that. You must have your eyes closed. We'll come back to that. If we don't come back to it today, we'll come back to it another time. There are too many rules and regulations for what is essentially a scientifically validated means of turning on your attentional spotlight. Pure and simple. But as I said at the start of this episode, that's just the beginning of thoughts related to meditation that a lot of people have. Oh, I thought it needed to be this length. I thought I needed to do it only this way and that I would almost be committing a mortal sin if I did it some other way. I thought that it has to be done in the morning and in the evening. I thought that it was related to enabling you be happy. I thought it had nothing to do with the real world. No one ever told me, and I never put the two and two together, because why would it occur to me I'm a normal crazy person? Pure and simple. People also think that their meditation is going to always be as wonderful as it was the first time they discovered what meditators call the gap. Now I need to explain the gap ever so slightly. It's this kind of, I don't know whether it's peace of mind or clarity of mind, it almost hits you and it hits you almost physically. You suddenly realize you're something other than what your thinking mind led you to believe. And very often some of the people with whom I have worked have experienced this experience very early on in their meditation. There are one or two people with whom I've worked who experienced it the very first time. And it literally, and I mean this, changed their lives. There's one guy with whom I worked about five years ago. I only worked with him initially for one day. He went home, went in the front door, and his wife said to him, What happened to you? <laughs> You're not the person that left here this morning. 
he was almost literally struck by lightning. Me, I was an accountant and tax consultant and banker, you already know that. I was sceptical, I was a slow learner. It took me quite a long time, probably months, maybe even years, before I experienced this aha moment of the gap. Now, people, when they experience the gap, expect to experience it in all of their meditations. Now, that is like playing the perfect golf shot and expecting to play the perfect golf shot every time. And when you don't hit it every time, you start trying harder to hit it. And the harder you try, the more elusive it becomes to the point where you'll never hit the perfect golf shot again for want of trying. The scientific fact is that our state of mind progresses through regular meditation. The way in which the left prefrontal cortex of the brain, the attentional spotlight that I mentioned a few minutes ago, the scientific fact is that with regular meditation, this part of the brain restructures itself. And as one of my clients says, every time one takes one of those little neural steps forward, it's banked you're never going to go backwards. Again, the scientific facts are that when you meditate regularly, every time you meditate, you build the process of restructuring the key components of your subcortical brain, specifically the insula, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. The neural correlates of the subconscious mind, what I might call the doing brain, bit of the brain that knows exactly what you need to do and enables you to do it exactly in the best possible way. The only thing that gets in its way is your normal thinking. So every time, every time you meditate, or indeed every time you even mini-meditate, which I'll come back to in a minute, every time you meditate, you further rebuild, restructure, rewire these key components of the brain. You're always moving forward, but that does not mean that your meditation itself as a practice is always going to be better one day after the previous day. Meditation doesn't work that way. Meditation is like hopping up on a treadmill in the gym. There will be some days when you're feeling full of beans and it'll be wonderful. And there'll be some days where you're pumping perspiration and you're dying to get off the treadmill. It doesn't mean that getting on the treadmill didn't move you further forward in the right direction. And particularly so when it comes to mental exercising. So therefore, when people start telling me I had a bad meditation, I cut them off at the pass for the simple reason that they're thinking about the unthinkable. Meditation is designed to stop you thinking. Why in God's name would you think about it? Some people tell me that their meditation is flat, has become flat, or has plateaued. Again, that is evaluating the unevaluatable, judging the unjudgeable. Meditation is designed to enable us drop our ability, dubious ability, for judging things. I could put that an even simpler way. Meditation is designed to stop us being prejudiced because when we judge anything at all, we're not judging it on the basis of the facts available to us. 
we're judging it on the basis of the stored knowledge we have selected from our little library of out-of-date known facts, they're only known to us by the way, to enable us to evaluate what's going on. We've talked about that before. And what that means is that I actually start judging me trying to free myself from my conceptual me using my conceptual me. Utter madness and a total and utter waste of time. It won't, by the way, take you backwards from the steps you've already taken forwards. But the one thing it may do is encourage you to drop your meditation or to stop it for a while or to say to yourself, I'll come back to that in a while because I'm not getting anywhere. Just because you felt you didn't get anywhere in this morning's meditation doesn't mean you didn't take another step forward on the road to having a highly finely tuned mind that will enable you always do the right thing in flow to enable you experience the kind of life that your heart desires. You never judge the quality of an individual meditation. You never say to yourself, I'm flat. You never say to yourself, if you'd forgot to meditate this morning or left it as a bad lot this morning, you never say to yourself, I'll pick that up tomorrow. As a client said to me a couple of years ago, what if I had left the house, was on the way into a meeting and I suddenly realised I'd forgotten to brush my teeth? Would I say to myself, ah, I'll do that again, I'll start that again tomorrow morning. You would not, you'd go and brush your teeth straight away. In exactly the same way, we need to ensure that we never let ourselves fall by virtue of the fact that we think our meditation has fallen flat. I've heard it so many times, people saying to me, oh, I don't get into it as deeply as I did when I was doing it in the room with you. Or I, I don't have the same oomph that I used to get when I started meditating first. And that, by the way, is simply a matter of how the human mind works anyway. One of the fundamental facilities we have within our brain is known as habituation. When you're suddenly struck by a lightning on the road to Damascus, so to speak, when you first experience that gap that I mentioned earlier on, the experience is so grand that you say to yourself, wow, this is so amazing. I can never go back from here. I wouldn't want to go back from here. And that becomes a benchmark for us. So we say to ourselves later on, oh, my meditation isn't as good as, as it used to be. Of course it isn't, because your first experience of that enlightenment, so to speak, was so utterly different from anything you had ever experienced in your adult life before. And the last thing you want to do is crave that, because craving is thinking about. Craving is looking for something that you can judge to be oh, perhaps almost as good as the real thing. You must remember, because we were talking about judging and dropping your pre-judging a minute ago, you must remember the University of Massachusetts Medical School's definition of mindfulness. Deliberately paying an unusual amount of conscious at attention to the present moment, non-judgmentally. It means you drop your thoughts completely. And the wonder of it is, you don't need to drop your thoughts. When you meditate, your thoughts drop for you. Pure and simple. Now, of course, 
there is another point in relation to all this process of thinking about the unthinkable, as I said a few minutes ago. Just before I sat down to record this podcast, I got an email from somebody referencing a conversation that we had had online on a Zoom session last week. It was a conversation amongst my owners of the online program, or should I say the owners of my online program. They're not my owners. We were talking about meditation going flat and meditation plateauing. We were talking about falling off the horse or falling out of the saddle. And the email I got was, that was a wonderful conversation we had last week. I feel emancipated that I am allowed fall. It called to mind a conversation that I'd had with one of my very first clients, probably 25 years ago, when he said to me, he said, after these few days, because I used to do a three-day workshop at the time, he said, after these few days, will I fall over? I said, of course you'll fall over. He said, how many times do you think I'll fall over? I said, well, you know, we're all on a learning curve. And by the way, we will always be a work in progress. None of us is ever going to get to the destination because there isn't one, because the further along you go, the more you realize the wonder of the journey, that there couldn't be a destination. But anyway, I said to him, I don't know how many times you'll fall over. He said, if I fall over 30 times tomorrow, what do I do? I said, you get up 31 times. It's that simple. We all fall over. We all fall off the horse. And what do we do then? We judge ourselves. We start thinking about how little progress we're making. We begin to question whether we're making, or ever made, any progress at all. And yet, and yet, when I ask my clients to compare themselves now, the people they are now, and the way they behave themselves now, and the way they act in situations now, to how they were before they ever met me for the first time, to the way they used to react, to the way they used to misbehave, to compare themselves to the people that they used to think they thought they were. They realize that they have traveled an enormous distance, that the distance between who they thought they were and who they have begun to discover themselves to truly be is a yawning gap, a quantum leap. But it's a yawning gap and a quantum leap that is taken in little baby steps. And the little baby steps that you and I need to take every day are the five or six or seven minutes that we all should take every morning to ensure that the other 23 hours and 53 or 54 minutes the rest of our day are qualitatively so different from what our normal thinking minds could ever imagine. Because that is the real power of what meditation will enable you bring to yourself, enable you discover from within. It's not the meditation that will bring that to you, The meditation itself is the training that will develop your mind sufficiently to enable you be present enough during the course of the day 
to experience the flow wherein your life will simply and effortlessly flow. And that, to the thinking mind, actually really is unthinkable. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.